Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favorite online betting company. Bet365 has wall-to-wall Premier League football, and with the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalized bet. And if you can't watch all the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment via live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Well, it's been an interesting couple of days. Manchester United's 2020-21 season is finally underway. Hooray. They lost in a meek fashion against Crystal Palace in the first league game. Not so hooray. They managed a flattering win against Luton Town in the League Cup. Hooray. But after the game, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer made no noise about potential transfers. Again, less of a hooray. It's been a strange seven or eight days for the Red Men, but we're going to try and figure out everything on this podcast. Joining me as ever is Laurie Whitwell, my fellow Manchester United beat reporter for The Athletic. Laurie, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Carl. It's actually been pretty sunny in Manchester, hasn't it, this week? So, um, you know, that helps at least lift some of the gloom after the Palace defeat yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't bad I had my first professional game at Old Trafford am I allowed to say that if I'm just watching it is it still a professional debut also here on this podcast he helps me keep my feet on the ground and my head still in the clouds it's the editor of United We Stand and the contributing writer to The Athletic it's Mr Andy Mitten Andy how you doing? Well, good, Carl. How did you find your first experience working at Old Trafford? It was quite fun there were a lot of bag checks but uh, better to be safe than sorry I was definitely looked after. And now there wasn't 80,000 people in there. Uh, the Wi-Fi was pretty good as well. Wow, you're really lucky then, Carl. You're very lucky. <laughs> Don't forget, there's loads of fantastic matches United reading over on The Athletic. Access is currently just £1 a month. So all you have to do is go over to theathletic.com slash Pod to sign up for loads of fantastic United pieces at the moment, including something from Laurie on what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinks about Mason Greenwood. I've done a tactical explainer about Donny van der Beek. And Andy's done something about the last time Manchester United were at Luton, back in 1992. Let's do this in reverse order. Uh, we're recording this on a Wednesday morning, so hopefully this night, some of you watched that League Cup game against Luton Town. It was a, a flattering 3-0 win. Uh, Laurie, I want to throw this to you first. What did you think? Ultimately, kind of a positive coming away from it. You know, they, they won United um, and players that needed minutes got minutes and you know some of the players that have had sort of perhaps underwhelming spells recently looked a bit better um I'm thinking about Jesse Lingard I thought he kind of came through it pretty well and, and listen we don't know what's going to happen with him before the end of the window but at least that was something that shows the qualities that he can produce uh, I thought Brandon Williams playing as well was an important thing for him he wasn't in the squad against Palace purely a tactical decision there from Solskjaer which was a little bit strange but I thought after a shaky sort of start Gave the way, gave the way a ball a couple of times. He actually did some really nice stuff and obviously won the penalty with some smart, you know, quick feet and, and and smart play really. But yeah, it was a bit of a grind. It was difficult watching at times. Luton, I thought, were organised well and obviously they made a lot of changes given their priority really is, is the championship and they had a, a derby against Watford coming up. Um, so they, they were well organised and I thought they, they they tested United. Obviously that save from Dean Henderson at 1-0, I thought that was a real standout moment for him because obviously we've, we've, there's been so much focus on De Gea, Henderson, how that battle's going to proceed during the season. This was his first, you know, this was his Manchester United competitive debut and um, he didn't have a lot to do at all, but that that 
moment, great save. And that's that's the real question about being a Manchester United goalkeeper, being able to go through long periods where you don't have much to do, you don't have much to focus on, but then actually producing the save when it matters. And then, listen, I thought the way that the game ended was, you know, pretty good to see you know you've got Bruno you've got Greenwood you've got Rashford all coming on all you know instantly making an effect Greenwood in particular probably the standout with that assist and then his, his goal uh, Rashford I thought it was really important for him to get off the mark quickly in this season I think he's had a bit of a, a tough time you know with the injury to his back I think I don't think we can underestimate that and then also the the foot injury that he had to pull out of the England squad due to um, so I think that's quite good to see him get on the pitch and, and, and take his goal really well it was a nice finish it was. It was sort of a second string team, not so good. First eleven, better. Something we've known for a little bit, and something that Solskjaer has made a point of wanting signing, so you can improve that sort of quality. Uh, after the game, Solskjaer sort of said he's not really bothered about signings right now. He said if players come in, they'll come in, but right now he's focused on what he currently has. But in true talk of level style, there has been a lot of uh, discussion about transfers. Andy, I know you have a little bit of news for us. Yeah, Manchester United is signing Jaden Sancho. is going to be done tomorrow <laughs> and he's going to be unveiled um, by Friday and he's going to score a hat-trick at Brighton on Saturday. Um, I don't have any definite transfer news. I mean, I can tell you that talks are ongoing with um, Tejas the, from Porto. That's been reported in the media. Um, I checked out with Barcelona um, about Dembele or people very close to Barcelona who, my best sources there and they just said it's they just knocked it back basically um, Dembele was hugely talented cost a fortune from Borussia Dortmund but has been inconsistent and there's been suggestions that um, his lifestyle wasn't always conducive to being a professional footballer you know he's, he's nothing nothing serious just like you know, gaming for too long and turning up for training too late and he'd been called out by a couple of his players on that. Very talented, but no, I was told that, that, that that's not happening. And then just more from United's perspective on uh, how they feel uh, that against criticism that they're not spending. They could feel that they've, they've spent more than any other major club in terms of their net spend in the last three uh, transfer windows of 175 million. Bruno, of course, came out of this uh, summer's window. Um, United say that their net spend over the last three windows is double the 87 million average for the European super clubs. And, you know, this is United defending themselves. People aren't buying, people won't buy this because people are disappointed that only one player's come in, that other clubs are signing players, that the Palace defeat was terrible, that the tweet last week from the Swiss Ramble showed how much. Um, that the Glazer family take out in terms of dividends and Ollie Kay's done a very good piece uh, in, on The Athletic um, touching in, in, in similar areas but that's United's perspective I've said two things on this podcast pretty consistently 120 for Sancho is implausible as because and especially because of the, the COVID environment and I did a lot of research into the numbers um, of how United are being hit by COVID. Four million pounds is the cost of every game at Old Trafford where there's no fans. And there's a feeling, okay, we live with this until the end of the season and then fans come back at the start of next season. That is not happening. The news is getting bleaker and bleaker. I did the story first for The Athletic about how United wanted to get 12,000 fans in for the Crystal Palace game. But it's probably good they didn't get anybody in for that game, given how it turned out. But... You know, the, the the mood and the increasing COVID rates 
shows that there is no time in the foreseeable of any fans coming back into the stadium. So this is bad news on many, many different levels. And I think United, um, they're definitely in the market for some players, but there is definitely also a financial reality because of because of COVID as well. Is it Tellers or Tellers? Because uh, that's how I would say it, but obviously you, you know Spanish, so... Yeah, the problem is it's Portuguese. That's yeah. it. My wife's like, bah! That's my wife. Amazing. Amazing. Bah? How do you pronounce T-E-L-S-E-S in Portuguese? Tellers or Tellers? Tellers. T-E-L-L-E-S. Tellers. 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 There you go. Marry a Brazilian. <laughs> there you have it Talk of Levels giving you the official pronunciation there with thanks to Mrs Mitten now we know how to say it do we know will he be joining Manchester United anytime soon Laurie what do you know I'm just loving that I mean I just was, was going to call him Tellez you know classic sort of northern interpretation of a, of, a, of a Brazilian Portuguese name this is one United are pretty quick to shut down stuff that isn't isn't quite right so the left back Nicholas Tagliafico who's been brought up recently that's a that's a you know a steer away from that one whereas the the, the Tellez one Tellez one there was reports about an agreement being made and, and contract being agreed that wasn't the case but talks I think between intermediaries are taking place so I think that's one to watch at least the transfer wouldn't be too much because he's got one year left of his contract and it it might actually be one where you know United could could look to do something in the market that would do would reflect well on them in the fact that they've got a player with one year left on the contract they're taking advantage of that situation if it does come to pass I think there's more talks to be held I wouldn't say it's you know imminent or anything like that or even definitely going to happen because you look at United is is left back you know, definitely what they need to add. I appreciate that Luke Shaw came out after the game, Crystal Palace, and said that you know United do need signings, and I think that was sort of quite brave and honest of him. Given you know left back is one of the areas that is being talked about, but I think if you've got Brandon Williams there, you've got Luke Shaw there, that's not a bad sort of duo to be competing. Obviously, that may be the case that Brandon Williams could shift over to right back and, and compete with Aaron Wambasaka for that for that role, a bit more of an attacking presence on the right because he does check back onto his right. You know quite frequently and, and maybe on his natural side that would be an interesting um, sort of development but Solskjaer picked Fossumensa at right back against Crystal Palace which I think surprised a few people I think the idea behind that was his positional defensive abilities and also he had played for Crystal Palace and he played against Crystal Palace at Sellers Park and, and did quite well actually at left back so um, maybe that was the decision there but it, it's obviously an area that United are looking at and it, it's a deal that certainly I think Porto would would quite like to have happen because that would mean money for a player so I wouldn't rule it out you know I still look at the Jaden Sancho thing and, and think that last week of the window something could happen you know speak to people and, and people are still suggesting that it's it's not dead that there's you know there's talk still ongoing so I agree with Andy that 120 million euro guaranteed United just won't go there there you have it listener the Sancho section done early <laughs> <laughs> I've just been looking about Tellers, 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 tell whatever we're going to call him. And he's from my wife's town. He's from 10 kilometres from oh, where amazing. my wife's from in no southern way. Brazil. So please come because I will proper be able to pickle his head if we can get back into a mix zone <laughs> and I can just name like a local pub near his house. That is brilliant. And if that, that doesn't get his attention. And a couple of years ago, United played at Liverpool in the Europa League. Terrible uh, defeat, 2016. And I waited for the players after the game. And a couple of United's 
press people said, they're not going to stop and talk to you. No chance at all. And I just saw that as a challenge. And I said, I bet I can get Marcus Rojo to stop and talk to me. She went, would you know him? I said, no. She went, you've got no chance. I said, watch this. And he walked past me and I said to him in Spanish, I stood with Estudiantes' ultras at the weekend. And he stopped and he turned around and he walked back. He went, what? <laughs> and I told him, I said, I stood with Estudiantes, because that's who he played for, that's who he supports, with the ultras at the weekend. I went to your town to see Juan Sebastian Verón. And he put his bag down. We had a nice chat and we got on ever since. It's a shame that his United performances has not been as good as that first chat. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Hi there, I'm David Ornstein, host of the Athletics Ornstein and Chapman podcast. And I'm here to tell you about Manscaped, the expert in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom whilst in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. And you can also listen to me on the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. It's myself, Mark Chapman, and the Athletics stable of expert writers, bringing you unrivaled insight into the biggest stories in the game every single week. From one rather straightforward victory in the League Cup to another unsavoury defeat to Crystal Palace in the league. <sighs> We've got a question here from Peter Nichols. Uh, P Nichols NZ on Twitter. He said, uh, "Only Zaha would probably make United's starting team. Yet Palace outplayed us. I know new signings are talked about a lot, but is improving the squad also about tactics and coaching? How culpable is Oli, and is he under pressure to get more out of his squad?" Uh, Laurie, I want to throw this one to you because I was in the stadium. I think you watched this one on the on television uh, what did you see i was sort of really disappointed with the performance i know that you have to make exceptions for the fact that there's you know they had one friendly match as sort of build up to this this sort of a combination of is it rustiness is it too much football given there's been such a short break you know since the europa league um i don't know sort of where you draw the balance on that one but i think we all knew how crystal palace would approach the game you know it was the same case at old trafford last season sit in be compact hit united on the counter attack so i feel like like United could have done more to counter that um, and obviously that ultimately rests with Ole. I know that there were some individual mistakes. I mean, that first goal, you could probably name all three defenders, uh, Lindelof, Maguire and Shaw, uh, for not doing what they need to do in terms of stopping the cross from source or, or cutting it out or then actually just marking Andros Townsend at the far post. And then, listen, the VAR situation was farcical, wasn't it? I know Stu James has written about this new handball law that, that's, that's come in, but I, I still think it's been interpreted wrong anyway, even if, you know, you've got... It doesn't necessarily need to be deliberate. I still think that Lindelof's arms in a, in a natural position, you know, for, for running, so it shouldn't be a penalty. But yeah, listen, unlucky there. You know, there's some spiritedness about the comeback. I really, really like Van der Beek's finish, um, but Lindelof too weak really for me in that in that encounter with Zahar for that for that third goal. So I then wrote you know the piece about Lindelof off the back of that and and whether or not he really is um, good enough to be Manchester United centre back partner to Maguire for the foreseeable. I think we actually got a 
Another question from Gavin Fogg, who uh, asks or sort of says for the hundredth time, why do you guys give Maguire a free pass? Always Lindelof, English bias, question mark. Listen, it's a fair question, you know, Maguire came in for a lot of money and has he met those heights? The value, uh, you know, was was attached to him? You know, personally, probably not because, you know, you look at the impact that Van Van Dijk's had at Liverpool, but at the same time, I think you do have to appreciate what Maguire's done as a kind of leader around the place as a as a important figure you know always putting himself up to to play he does have an important role in passing out from the back and his defensive displays have been good I think he I think he's not the problem there I think I think you look at the Lindelof situation he's had a number of years now four years really um where he's, he's for me not been not been good enough so that's that's one sort of takeaway from the Palace game but I do I do agree you know really with with Peter Nichols that the original question could you know the the coaching or the tactics have been better I mean I know that as I say United weren't in the ideal fitness you know state of fitness for, for the game but could that have been managed better and, and could could United have have just managed to get you know a draw out of the game you know if, if they weren't gonna you know get a win at least don't lose sort of 3-1 but listen maybe it's just a blip maybe it's you know the the reaction to United defeats are always um, very intense uh, and maybe you know the looting game is a start of United actually getting back into that groove of, of looking really threatening with that attacking quartet that they've got and, and you know more strength uh, in midfield with Van der Beek sort of looking looking the business really with his movement Andy you've seen more Manchester United seasons than myself uh, United aren't notoriously good at starting quickly can you help allay some fears is it just one game and they'll get better there was probably an overreaction to that result but look it was a shocker and it came at the end of a week where the mood sunk among Manchester United fans And I felt that the mood, and it's important that the mood, and we talk about it, it's this intangible, but it feeds into confidence and confidence of the players. And Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said last year when they lost to Palace, the mood became a negative one, which didn't help him at the start of last season. But for the reasons that Laurie said about the fitness, about the lack of the pre-season, about the lack of personnel, they all contributed. Palace said they wanted to hit United cold. They did that. They've got a good record at Old Trafford against United. They've got an abysmal record at Sellers Park against United. So all of these things make football more interesting. But it was a horror show um, right from right from the start. You know, United had very few passages of play where the, they were doing very well. I agree with Laurie's assessment of various players, and I think you've got to be judging them sort of ten games in. And we cannot be having a repeat of last season. If you're looking at 2020, there's been a gradual improvement. I still think that Solskjaer um, recruits well. I still think he he does have a philosophy and he does have a plan for the future. I do think the youth system is looking brighter. And amid the the, the COVID negatives and that horrific performance, uh, I do still see uh, reasons for optimism with Manchester United. But But it's all about results. And while the transfer window is open... And United have only bought one player and maybe just as importantly refused, well not refused, struggled to get rid of players because that's a major issue. Mm-hmm. Totally struggling to get rid of players who earn a fortune, who joined one of the three biggest clubs in the world and were remunerated to justify that status but were not successful. So there's not a huge demand for them. So Barca and Madrid, they're having fire sales. They need to get rid of players. They need to bring money in. But these are players who've won titles and European titles with Madrid and Barca. The players at Manchester United haven't come close to that level. So there's not a huge number of suitors for these players. 
So Luton, job done, clean sheet, great save from Henderson. A bit of a struggle of a game. I think we should credit Luton. You know, the last time Man United won the league, Luton were the 100th ranked team in England. They sunk to, into non-league. They've come right back up. They're in the championship. And this is a club who was completely on its uppers only seven or eight years ago. So it was a good test for United. And the players needed minutes. Even the fringe players needed minutes. Wambasaka needed minutes. Fred, Matic, I felt those two did okay. Uh, Juan Mata, I think he knows his role, thought he was the best player for Manchester United. Uh, Williams, he's you know, still got to learn. He still loses the ball too much. He's full of energy, but I know there's doubts there with him and that's why United are looking at a left-back and that may mean Brandon Williams switching back over to, to right-back, but United feel that they need more experience uh, coming in there. I thought Igalo struggled. I thought Donny van der Beek's movement was good off the ball. He didn't I think he touched the ball 21 times, which was, if you look at the numbers compared to the other players, it was really, really low. Jesse Lingard, he drives forward, he started brightly, but he's still not assisting, he's still not scoring. And then he needed the three subs. Pretty harsh scoreline against Luton, but those subs were decisive. They changed the game. Uh, Mason Greenwood, bang, bang, goal. Great finish from Rashford. And, and Rashford really needed that, uh, because as Laurie said, he's, he's not at the best of times uh, coming back after... His injury and he, he took the ball really well. Fernandez needs to get on his game as well. So amid the negatives from that game against Palace, I can see some positives coming, but it'll all be about results. If United lose to Brighton, as they did two seasons ago, United were pretty horrific at, at Brighton mm-hmm. since that stadium opened until this year when they played really well. There needs to be another repeat performance, a pretty convincing win, and only then will people start to claw back the confidence which was there after the lockdown. I was at Old Trafford. I made a lot of very strange noises watching that game. Uh, I think, yes, yes, you can apply the caveats of it. It was only really, their pre, you know, it was essentially a pre-season game. And for a large part of the time, Manchester United were napping. But I do wonder, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has this plan A. He wants to play this 4-2-3-1. He wants to play aggressive, pressing football and he wants to do it with high-quality players. But I do wonder what happens when he doesn't have all these top players. Uh, so I think what was very telling was when you saw that lineup at a 4.30 an hour before, when there was no Juan Bissaka at right back and it was Scott McTominay rather than Manu Matic at defensive midfield and Dan James on the right-hand side rather than Mason Greenwood. People on Twitter were saying, mm, I'm not sure about this. And I think a club of Manchester United size, if you can remove three players at the starting lineup. And people can immediately go, this is this is bad. This is a problem. Then something's going wrong. Yes, you can apply similar caveats that if you took Liverpool's three starters out and put replace them with something and Manchester City's three starters, you can get something else. But I would expect those teams to get something against a side of Crystal Palace's quality. Only mild disrespect to Crystal Palace there. <laughs> You're right, Carl. And one thing, one thing United are trying to do, just quickly, is bring in players where if you interchange them, there's no discernible difference. When John O'Shea used to come in for whoever, there wasn't a huge difference to the starting eleven. And United are trying to do this. Bring in Donny van der Beek, replace him for whoever, and not drop a few players and see a massive dip in performances like we saw against Norwich and Chelsea in the FA Cup. That would be good. And I think I think that's that's fine. But I also think that is a very 2010 approach to have to football in the idea of you just have, you need to get to a place where you spend so much money that you're replacing quality with quality. I also think there needs to be something where, you know, quality can, you know, John O'Shea, fantastic player. Also, John O'Shea was properly coached by his manager. And I do wonder, and I, you know, linking back to the League Cup game I saw there, 
there are times where you can see players of not great quality try and do Solskjaer's plan A and just not be able to pull it off. And I'd like to see some cynicism from Solskjaer. Some, you know what, let's just punt it a bit longer because you're not good enough at this. You can be a bit too rigid in what you want to do. And I do worry about that from Solskjaer. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't. I can see where you're coming from there, Carl. And I, I would say that's probably why you know the striker uh, position is still something United would ultimately want to enhance. You know, Igalo goes back to uh, Shanua on you know in January. He was disappointed against Luton, wasn't he? he went, you know that sort of spark that he first came in with, where he was holding the ball up, and he could be that other option that you talk about—a sort of a, a longer pass into him. He could hold the ball up and bring other people into play. He didn't seem to be doing that against Luton, which is listen, maybe a bit more ring rust again. You know, he's not played in in a lot of time. Uh, you know, give him a bit of slack. But I think that's that's possibly what they were thinking of there, and that's probably why they're still looking at, at that area of the pitch as well, even though they've, they've, they're really you know well abundant with players in in Rashford, Greenwood, and Marshall. So. I, I, I can see where you're coming from there, though. My example would be, you know, the opposite. So defence. Why would you persist with a high line when you've got Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof, not the fastest uh, gentleman out there, and you've got uh, not your preferred defensive midfielder, Nemanja Matic? Traditionally, Manchester United can, can get away with that high line because when worse comes to worse, Matic drops deep and he can help shield the things and protect. Yeah. When you've got the much faster... Uh, and uh, less defensively minded Scott McTominay in there, that high line becomes a bit more dangerous. It also becomes more dangerous when you don't have one Basaka in able to do the sweeping up work as well. So there was one counter attack where Crystal Palace scored and it was eventually ruled offside where you could see David De Gea scream orders at, Magu- at Maguire and at Lindelof and they just couldn't sort their feet out and couldn't. They got pulled and pushed apart by Townsend and Zaha and eventually a goal came in and an offside saved you. And it's just that sort of thing. What you know, you don't have to continue with a high line when you don't have the personnel to do it. That's interesting. I tell you what, we, we've got a question from Toby Rogers who said, "Do you think Wambasaka could be a centre back rather than a right back?" And I mean, I thought Eric Bailey's performance last night was encouraging. I know we've had him for a long time, but you know, injuries have, have, have really curtailed his involvement at United. And I wonder if it's getting to the point though, if if he's you know he's played consistently, you know, for for, for a bit, you know, now he, well, he's, he's been available consistently for a bit, and he's played when he's played, he's, he's played okay. And that pace, I mean, there was two covering tackles that he made that were were brilliant, you know, in terms of the the, the, the speed that he exhibited. And I wonder if Solskjaer will look at that and think. You know, maybe I could swap Bailey in for for Lindelof. I mean, I know Axel Twanzebe, he's got incredible speed as well. Spoke to people that played with him at Aston Villa and say he's the fastest defender they've ever seen. But he's had another one where injuries have, have, you know, hampered his progress. And I think last season, if he hadn't had a hip problem that kept him out for quite a while, um, you know, he would have actually, you know, rivaled Lindelof more frequently for for that sort of starting position. So I think I I agree with you, Carl, totally that maybe Solskjaer could amend, you know, those. That, that sort of defensive model with the players that he's got at his disposal but I think ultimately he would actually like to have a fast sort of mobile defender alongside Maguire so that the two dovetail quite nicely and, and you can you can sort of play both aspects of, of that Balding is an awkward topic for men yet a lot of us start losing our hair before we hit 40 and the best way to take control of hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some Hims was created to make it easy for guys to seek care, especially guys who avoid seeing the doctor in person for awkward health conversations. Not everyone wants to have personal conversations face to face with a stranger in a white coat. So Hims connects you to real doctors online which could save you hours. 
It's completely confidential and discreet. You'll get a proper consultation and we'll give you sound advice on what you can do to help your hair before it's too late. It couldn't be easier to book your free consultation. Just go to forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. That's forhims.co.uk forward slash athletic. We've got a tongue-in-cheek question from Henry Bradshaw here, who asks, why was Matt Judge at the Luton game? Was it a pit stop on the way to Dortmund? If not, why not? And did you notice whether his phone was charged? I think the uh, phone battery was a reference to a video made by Patrice Evra after the Crystal Palace game, where Evra made a 20-minute hearty discussion about Manchester United's business, or lack thereof. Uh, and talked about how Manchester United send lawyers to get transfer deals over the line rather than footballing people. So first of all, I want to ask this to Laurie. Uh, why was Matt Judge there? And uh, to Andy, is it okay that Manchester United send lawyers to help do transfer business? Is this what other clubs do? Maybe it's conspiracy theories uh, gone <laughs> crazy, but Matt Judge goes to a lot of games. I know that yeah, there's flights from Luton to Dortmund, but um, you know that wasn't the case on this one. He's entitled to go to a football match. Um, and uh, listen, the, the, the points that Patrice Evra brings up, he was very passionate in what he said. Uh, and he does know people at the club. And I have heard some of the similar complaints that he's mentioned in terms of communication um, you know from uh, from Matt Judge occasionally being difficult to get hold of but then, then at the same time if he's in negotiations with a sporting director or, or with an agent I've heard other people do you know leave their phones uh, without being answered because you want to get that leverage you want to be able to have the talks um, held on on you know your behalf uh, I'm sure Andy can touch upon this um, that you know Previously, United would send football people in perhaps first, you know, and then you look at the way that Bristol Dortmund have conducted their business with Erling Haaland. I think that was that was one of the elements to that, and Jude Bellingham as well. The United are trying to do that, get football people in there to compel potential signings to to join. You also listen to the issue with Donny Van der Beek, and and that apparently was a very uh, professional. Um, very clear, uh, conducted negotiation with Matt Judge. So there's different opinions on it. You know, I don't think any one view should be regarded as the ultimate, um, you know, cast iron Bible truth. Um, but certainly, you know, you speak to some people in, in the in the past, you'd, you would have Ferguson, you would just call up people and say, listen, who do I need in the room to get this deal done? And he'd fl- take a flight out, out over there, take David Gill with him perhaps, and, and then he'd get it all sorted in, in that, you know, one room. Time, time has moved on, you know, deals are much more difficult to complete now with all the different, you know, clauses, image rights and what have you, you know, the money's much bigger now. But so listen, you know, Patrice definitely had some interesting points to make, but I'd I'd perhaps just be cautious about taking it full, you know, as full gospel. Um, But I don't know, Andy, you you know, you you know more about how deals used to be done uh, than I did. Yeah, I agree with almost everything you say there. And I've, I've spoke to agents this summer who've, you know, one yesterday, United have not got back to me, and this this is a, a top class player who, if he signed, United fans would probably be very very happy with, and he's and he's baffled that United have not got back to him. So, I spoke to a player, a United player who played over four hundred times for the club um, a couple of days ago, and he said the club do not know how to do the dark arts of transfers anymore, and he said they're almost doing it reverse as to how they used to do. So, Sir Alex Ferguson would let it be known very clearly to a player that I want you to join the biggest and most successful club in England. You are going to play in this position. You can have this lad putting balls into you. You can have this lad behind you. You can have him, him, him and him. And 
the player was mesmerized and absolutely loved the idea before anything official uh, had been done. And he could then go to his agent and say, I want to join Manchester United. And if a player is saying that to his agent and his agent is saying that to a club, look, we know you want a lot of money for him, but my client, he wants to leave. Then that makes negotiation much, much easier to get a player out of a club. Because let's face it, a lot of the players United are trying to sign, they're very difficult to extract from the clubs. That's how it tends to be with the best players. It has always been the case. So United do put football people in when they need to. Uh, in terms of trying to schmooze a player. They did it a lot with Jude Bellingham, Ferguson, Cantona, Oli Gunnar. You know, big research went on into Jude's family. Uh, Oli found out that Jude's father was a, a pretty well-known non-league striker and he thought, you know, striker to striker, we can have a chat here. And United did a huge amount of work into getting him, but didn't get him. And that's where the club will be judged. They didn't get the, the player. And had United got Jude Bellingham, then this transfer window, there would be a slightly different aspect on it. So I think a lot of footballers as well, they don't trust non-footballing people. And a lot of money people, they don't always trust the footballing people because they think you're good at playing football. You're not necessarily a specialist in the art of negotiation. And Ferguson and David Gill, they had this pact where... They loved it if they could get a deal across the line without anybody finding out. Best two examples, Anderson and Nani. Bang, 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 straight through. Uh, and Javier Hernandez, where United basically said to Hernandez, who'd been scouted extensively by Mike Phelan and a couple of others, um, if you keep this to yourself, if this doesn't get out, we will reward you with a friendly in Guadalajara to open your new stadium. So Hernandez flew to Manchester a decade ago. And even his close family thought he was going shopping in Dallas. And the deal was done. Bang. Delivered the day after getting knocked out of the Champions League when everyone was really annoyed. And it was just a really smart way of doing things. And it was a success. And is that the dark arts? You know? Does does Matt Judge, who's not a football person, but he's got experience in this job, does he know how to do that? You, the bottom line is United are struggling to get deals done. And someone else said to me, they focus on one deal at a time. So... They spent way too much time last summer on moving Lukaku on that by the time he'd gone, there wasn't enough time to get a replacement in. When you talk about sort of the dark arts and, and having communication, somebody else said to me that, you know, you need somebody in that role who, who's doing the deals. Obviously, United don't have a sporting director, director of football. It kind of always comes back to this point. But being proactive in finding out clauses, you know, that might facilitate moves being quicker or, or, or working out better. So you look at the Minamino one at Liverpool, they knew about that clause. They, they managed to get that deal. Listen, he's not going to, he's not tearing up any trees, I don't think, but for the price that they got him at, they're going to be able to sell him for a profit, whatever happens really, because he's now a Liverpool player. You look at Thiago, you know, Klopp made the call to Thiago, didn't he? And managed to persuade him a bit like Ferguson, as you, as you say, uh, that actually maybe his future was away from Bayern Munich. And then at that point, Liverpool could use that as a, as 
leverage in their own negotiation to get the deal over the line. So I think that's where you want United, you want, you know, people that do these deals on behalf of United to, you know, good to be, to look slick. And I think that's one of Everett's points that, you know, it seems to drag. And, you know, where where's this, as you mentioned, the, the Anderson, where's the nanny situation where you don't hear about it and then bang. I think Von, Donny van der Beek was perhaps falls into that category a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think credit to United for that. I think that was a situation where they looked at it and thought they could get leverage in the situation. You know, probably 10 million uh, euros less than what um, Ajax had agreed with Real Madrid for the players. So that's one there. So I think it's just that they, you know, people want to see that on a consistent basis before they can sort of say, yes, United are doing the recruitment spot on. Uh, we got one here from George Shelley talking about uh, transfers on the other way, which is basically what's Manchester United's thought process beyond uh, behind offering contract extensions to players like Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo, who they now can't sell on because of the size of their wages. Andy, you just mentioned Marcus Rojo first, so I'm going to throw this one to you. How You've talked about how hard it is to get players out of their clubs and into Manchester United. How difficult is it to get players out of Manchester United? Very difficult, especially now, especially in the COVID world, especially when players have not been playing. They might be associated with being injury prone and they're sat on these big fat contracts and it doesn't look good. You know, when you talk about those two players you've mentioned being given the contracts that they were given, it doesn't look good. They were given them when they'd had a good little spell in the first team and the club liked to have the security of having players tied up. They like to incentivize the players. They like to have an option for another year and to feel that there's a resale value there. And you might have said at various points in the last two or three years that Marcus Rojo or Phil Jones might be worth 20 or 30 million pounds. Everton wanted to sign Marcus Rojo. Manchester United said no to that. And I I met Rojo's agent in Lisbon last year and he told me the story about that. I know Marcus, I know Marcus's family. I've been to see them in, in La Plata. And sometimes you're baffled, but Hindsight can be wonderful here. Uh, there's been times where these players have been needed and you know, I'm not going to say that Phil Jones is Paolo Maldini here, um, but I do think that these lads are Premier League standard players. I realise I'm speaking now at a time when everyone wants them to go and I understand that and want to release some money from the huge wage bill, which is still the second highest in world football and the club with the highest they're getting rid of players, so why shouldn't Manchester United do that? That's that's Barcelona, because basically Messi stayed. I spoke to people at Barca last week, and they're, they're almost as disappointed that Messi stayed, such as such as the high level of his wages. But United are struggling to get players out, and I do think there'll be some movement, but they're in a position because they're near the top of the football transfer um, tree. And it's not a new thing either. We mentioned Nani, I'll mention him again. To get Nani out, United had to pay most of his wages when he went to sport in Lisbon. Uh, I don't know how much Alexis Sanchez is being paid by Manchester United, but there's been some pretty horrific incoming transfers. And this leads us back into the mixed and poor recruitment in the post-Ferguson era. Not that Fergie didn't always get it right in the transfer market, because it's not an exact science, the club maintain they are now on the right track, that there was this cultural reboot. And fans would have had that. I mean, Ed Woodward explained it to me in great detail in October. But when you see the transfer movement this summer for Manchester United, doesn't fill you with faith that this cultural reboot is purring along as quite as nicely as, 
the manager would like it to be. He certainly would have wanted more than one player uh, into the club. I know for a fact it is. I know for a fact that he wanted two or three. And he went on the record and said he needed two or three players to make United closer to a club capable of challenging for the title again. They feel, the coaches feel that they're going to need a few more transfer windows. You know, Bruno should have come in last summer, but he didn't. He came out of this window's budget. And that's not really reminded. People don't want to hear negative news. They want to believe what they want to believe. And the fact is, Bruno came out of this summer's transfer window. But also, when United are not buying players like others, um, and I'm not just about Chelsea and City who are, who are funded in a different way, but your Tottenham's and your Liverpool's. And I'm not sure how Tottenham have funded uh, Gareth Bale. Fans don't want to know that. They just want to know who is coming in, when he's coming, and how he's going to improve our team. We've got a good question here from John Morgan at Morg007, who asks, uh, with the news that grounds won't be reopening to fans as originally planned, does that future loss of revenue affect the summer transfer budget? Or had the club already prepared for the very real possibility fans can't return this season? This is a cover question here from John. Thank you for it. Uh, Laurie, what do you think? Yeah, well, listen, it's a pretty disappointing state of affairs when um, the government have announced more regulations that obviously put back the planned return of fans to grounds. October the 1st was, um, you know, an you know, the date in the, in the sand that people were hoping would, um, you know, see the start of, of fans coming back. I, you know, I, I'm no scientist. I'd still think that you could probably do something like that. Um, but listen, we're into this new phase now, aren't we, where that's not going to be the case. Um, and I think United already did plan for that you know as, as Andy's mentioned earlier four million you know quid a game um, you know as a loss or or at least not being banked because of games going ahead behind closed doors and also the broadcast revenues you know they will have to have talks with TV companies again about where any kind of rebate comes in because it's not quite the product that they you know uh, signed up for originally I think there's flexibility there but listen it's, it's that's another discussion to be had um, United did take out a loan or credit facility from um, Bank of America to the tune of 140 million pounds so that is for ongoing sort of costs really it's not for transfers it's for um, the you know the hit that coronavirus has had to the, the cash flows of United and, and that's what that's uh, there for so I think they have planned for it, but it's it's going to be that they have spoken consistently. You know, Edward Wood in the quarterly investor calls and in his program notes, you know, has spoken consistently about this new uh, way of, of being for football clubs. Manchester United aren't immune from that. You know, they they are incubated because of the commercial revenues they're able to drive. But then again, it still has an impact, as Andy mentioned, you know, the highest wage bill in the Premier League and various different outgoings that mean that there will be a reality to this. That being said, you know, there is money there you know for transfers it's it's you know it's, it's certainly the case that they have you know cash reserves and you know they have ways of, of spending money that, that can be taken into the account so it's a disappointing I, mean, I think also really for the fact that the fans aren't in the stadiums it is getting to be you know that the, the novelty is very very much worn off from from watching a match behind closed doors for me I know you, you were there on Saturday for the Palace game um, but you know United I still remember the United game against Man City that, that was the final one before this all happened and, and the atmosphere there that night and it just doesn't it's, it's getting into a weird sort of sense of, of going to football now and it's a very privileged position to be able to do so but I, I, I you know I, I would love to see something being done on fans you know coming back um, I know the Premier League obviously written to the government on that basis um, so we'll see how those those talks go 
let's have a little look at what we've been writing about. Andy, I really enjoyed this piece you did uh, looking at Manchester United's last visit to Luton Town back in 1992. Could you just explain what you've been working on recently in addition to this piece? I've been doing, I can't say too much, but an investigation and I feel like I've opened up Pandora's box into an element of football which is, is giving me concern and I've been spending a lot of time speaking to people, probably interviewed 12 people so far as part of this piece. And I'll give you more details in time, but I think it shows that proper journalism costs a lot of money, costs a lot of time, and The Athletic is doing that. And as a journalist, I appreciate that because it'd be quite easy for me to put out a piece saying, Alex, Tellez, 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 whatever he's called is 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 coming isn't coming whatever but so I'm working on an investigation and, and hopefully in a few weeks I'll be able to tell you more details about it but it's good to be able to to be backed into to doing an, an investigation because football isn't always the cleanest industry Andy for those that weren't around in 1992 can you explain a little bit more about this piece about going to Luton Luton United were about to win the league for the first time in 26 years Luton were going down we printed copies of United We Stand. We had champions at last on the front cover. We picked them up from the printers at Old Trafford. We ran two coaches down to Kenilworth Road. We sat in the cramped seats behind the away end. We sold the fanzines. Everything was just teed up perfectly. United went ahead through Lee Sharp. I spoke to him as part of the piece. And Ryan Giggs, who I won't repeat what he said, but he, he basically said it wasn't my best game by a long way. And Brian McClare, who also played in it. And... Um, United lost uh, Paul Parker at half-time. And then Mick Harford, legendary Luton player, um, equalised. And that's that set off a, a run of terrible defeats, which led to United not winning the league. Led to me being quite rightly derided for putting champions at last on the front cover when United were not the champions at last. And Sir Alex Ferguson said, had I signed Mick Harford, which he tried to do that year, we would have won the league. So really nice to delve into it, to speak to former players. Some remembered the game, some of them didn't. Some of them needed talking through what had gone on that day. But uh, it's a a type of journalism that that, that I like doing and there there was a good feedback to it. It's slightly different, but... I think, again, you know, The Athletic has got space for that and people seem to enjoy it. Laurie, you've done this really good piece on Victor Lindelof and uh, how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer views his centre-backs. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I've touched upon it um, earlier in the podcast, obviously, on the fact that really uh, the way that Solskjaer wants his defenders to be is uh, good in the one-on-one situations, really. So, you know, you'd have it in the past where Rio or Vidic would be able to snuff out danger in a one-on-one basis. And um, there was an interview I did with Louis Sahar last uh, season where he talked about the in training, you know, or in matches, you know, every United player wanting to um, come out of their individual battles winning it basically and and if you have everyone go into that situation then you obviously get a team uh, winning the game you know listen I think that's something that Lindelof does struggle with I know that people pointed out to me uh, when I tweeted this piece that uh, he you know he doesn't get dribbled past as much as uh, Harry Maguire so you know I'm looking at last season's stats it was three times that Lindelof was dribbled past it was 16 that uh, Harry Maguire was dribbled past seven for Virgil Van Dijk. By the way, if anyone's interested, because there was that Ooh. stat that was going, there was that stat that was going around that he hadn't been dribbled past for all season or something, wasn't there? But um, I do think that that is a, a slight. You can't take that at face value necessarily because the two instances that I, I mentioned against Palace on Saturday, 
Zahar sort of brushing off Lindelof uh, for the sec- for his second goal and uh, Schlupp getting past him uh, on the wing for the, for the first goal. Neither of those were counted as times when Lindelof had been dribble passed. So, you know, it's, it's those kind of moments where I think, uh, you know, there's a, a slight weakness to, to Lindelof physically. You'd want him to be stronger in those in those departments. And then obviously the speed that we've mentioned before, you know, if you can't, if you can't you know, out-muscle them, at least outpace them and, and win the ball cleanly. So that's kind of what the piece is about. Listen, you might think I'm being harsh on Lindelof, but, you know, I, I also think there's, there are questions to be asked and I sort of have a little bit of a, a point about the fact that when Lindelof was signed, United were looking at Michael Keane as well. So it, was, it wasn't necessarily the case that Michael Keane was, that Victor Lindelof was the only defender and they, they really, really wanted him. There was there was debate about it. And, you know, so I just sort of look into that a little bit and where he came from. But hopefully I've not, uh, you know, given away too much there or, or spoken for too long. You know, it's, you know, please do go and read it and, and see what you think. It's a good piece. I'd also recommend a companion video from our good friends at TIFO that looks at uh, Manchester United's 2007-2008 team and what made them so good because there you get a very nice discussion about how uh, Alex Ferguson basically went Rio and Vidic should just boss the 1v1s and I can just deal with the rest of it afterwards. That's a great shout. I actually haven't seen that car so I'm going to go do that myself. Would recommend. There's more than one way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is the apprentice to uh, Alex Ferguson. As for me... I've written match debriefs for the game against Crystal Palace and there should be one, dear listener, going out very soon as I sort of sum up what I saw in the League Cup game. I'm also going to be looking into things that the Academy are doing. That's all from us for Talking Devils this week. Uh, It's goodbye from me, a goodbye from Laurie. Goodbye, guys. Cheers for that. And a goodbye from Andy. Cheers, lads. Thanks, listener, for joining us for an episode of Talking Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We'll see you next week. Thank you.